fire. Good day, good day, good day, everyone. It's Peter Dunn, Pete the Planner, host of the Pete the Planner radio show. Hello, it is good to be with you. Damian Dunn joins me as always. Hello, Dame. Hello, Pete. For those that uh, are thinking, where was the podcast last week? Dame, you want to talk through that? Uh, do you really want me to? I mean, I'll follow my sword. I screwed up my audio settings and made it unlistenable. That was entirely my fault. I'm sorry. Uh, I have to say, um, while frustrating, obviously, for all of us, I kind of didn't care. <laughs> like, I didn't I mean I, I should probably care. There wasn't a radio show last week because when I went to send the audio over, it was me talking and then dead air when you were supposed to be talking because it didn't record and, and no one cares. Hi, everybody. Hope you've had a good week. Lots to cover today. I bought a new car. Um, I acquired a new car. I, I leased a new car. Uh, we're going to talk about how weird the car buying experience has been. And, and truth be told, I also um, uh, talked about this on the Indianapolis Business Journal podcast, the IBJ podcast, which comes out uh, Monday, whatever. Uh, listen to that. My friend Mason King is the host of that. He does a really nice job. Um, so we're going to talk about that there as well. Probably I'm going to talk about it a little less professionally on this show because I really <laughs> didn't want to bring Mason down. He's a good professional man. You're, voice, you are too, Dave. His voice is amazing, though. <clears throat> oh, he's great. He's a really great guy. Very genuine guy. Anyway, Dame, you good, man? How, how was your week? Like, where's where's your quality of life and where's your headspace, my friend? Uh, I've gotten a, a couple bits of very good news this morning. I had a couple wins this week, so I am I am looking forward to finishing the week strong today. As someone who works alongside of you, uh, you have had a good week. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I have a good week. I've had a good week too. So let's keep the vibe going. My 13 year old girls soccer team, of which I'm the assistant coach and the head manager, uh, got a victory against older girls last night. Ooh. Yeah. So that was nice. And um, it was like 40 degrees and windy at game time. Sort of a rough way to start uh, the season. Alas, we won. Uh, good morning. Rick Swink, uh, live on Facebook Live right now. Uh, if you're on the podcast right now and you're thinking, oh, well, neat. Yeah, go to Facebook, YouTube, or Twitter live at 10 a.m. Eastern and watch along. Uh, Jameson, listener, uh, all-time best listener, I think. Is, what we, is that what we call him, Dame? All-time best listener might be a little strong. I mean, he's really good, but... No, he was... No, what was he? He was uh, Lifetime Achievement Award Lifetime, best listener or something like that. It, yeah, okay. Jameson sent me a tweet earlier this week down in Texas. He went to Costco and acquired Miguel. He acquired a case of Miguel. Uh, so, Jameson, I hope you're enjoying it. Do, do you like it? And do you agree that the first taste is a Band-Aid and then it, it becomes a tolerable bandage beverage? I'm gonna I'm gonna need tasting notes uh, from from Jameson. Yeah, so let us know about that. Um, Miguel is taking over the world. I don't know if that's true. Dame, have you been able to figure out what the lyrics are that are scrolling uh, along the bottom of the screen? Can anyone identify the lyrics I'm scrolling uh, in the crawler this week on the show? It's a strong lyric right there. Chris notes, why is soccer weather usually crappy? My daughters have practiced tonight, 40 degrees temp and 40 moderates. It is, Chris. It, soccer weather is always crappy. I feel like I was in like a historical uh, monsoon once watching a soccer game, and no one, it was like, it felt right. I mean, it was horrible, yet it made a lot of sense. Uh, Jameson notes, he does like Miguel. He thought it tasted like Band-Aid at least halfway through, but it's my jam. Uh, but it's, uh, as my 
son says it slaps. Oh, no cap. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Dame, before we get started this week, I want to, I want to give you a report from the, the, the front lines of elementary school. Um, (laughs) <laughs> Lee says we got to get the show on the road. Lee, my man, by the way, beautiful picture there. Lee, this story, you're not going to want to miss this story. You're not going to want to miss this story. Ted had sex ed at school uh, this week. And so uh, it's called Ready, Set, Grow now. So when you're in elementary school and you're in fourth grade, Teddy Buckets is learning about how everything works. Hmm. And so Mrs. Planner said to me, she's like, hey, look, I know it gets a little bit more intense in fourth grade this year. I don't know what he knows. Can you have a talk with him? So we're on the way to soccer practice. And I was like, first off, the it's called Ready, Set, Grow, which is for, for anyway, yeah. uh, for a guy, it's just like, a, you know, and I was like, Hey, buddy, uh, mom says you got uh, Ready, Set, Grow this week. And uh, he's like, yeah. And I was like, uh, okay, well, so they're probably going to talk about uh, like puberty. Um, you heard of that? You know, what, you know what that is? And he goes, he goes, you talking about babies or getting taller? And I was like, <laughs> oh, my God. I was like, oh, I didn't know we were going to go to the baby. I was, like, I, was, I was like, getting taller and stuff. And he's like, don't worry, Dad. I know the names of all of my parts. It's <laughs> like, okay. And he goes, you know what, though? And he said the name of his friend, who I'm not going to say the name of his friend on my show. It's the, he said, so-and-so, uh, and I have a theory here. And I was like, oh, God, what are we about to do? He goes, we think the boys are going to be put in one room, and the girls are going to be put in another room. And in the boys' room, they're going to tell us the name of all the girls' parts. <laughs> and he was like... <laughs> No, Brittany, Brittany, Teddy is not Russian now. This is my Ted voice. It's like you, you have a dog and you have a voice for your dog. You know, you have a voice for like your your mother-in-law. I mean, I don't. Um, you just have a voice. That's Ted's uh, story voice, Brittany. What I really like is the fact that your fourth grader has a deeper voice than you do. Well, yeah. I mean, when you get that many buckets. Yeah. Um, Dame, what else am I? I was going to tell something else this week that, uh, I mean, I guess we'll just tell it during the show. Yeah. Let everybody enjoy it. I want everyone to know I've got plenty of time for you today. I really do. I'm sort of vibing that way. Wow. I've got plenty. In fact, I want to grab a Miguel. Dame, can you oh. ever entertain everyone? Well, I grab uh, a Miguel. Yeah. Excuse me. Yep. All right. Everybody gather in real close. Here's what we're going to do. The first time Pete tries to make a joke... I want everybody to reply in the comments, boo, or you know something. Just kind of really try and see if we can throw them off today. So that's your job. He makes a joke, you boo. All right, I'm back. All right, we had a good little uh, fireside chat there. I always wonder if when I say entertain people, um, if they do feel entertained after that whole thing. I think there was value. Uh, not funny, Pete. What? What's not funny? Oh. Wait a second. Dame, are you telling people to say <laughs> not funny? <laughs> okay. No. I, would I do that? Okay. By the way, Rick, I am not always running late. I'm always about a half hour early. That's the... Okay, here we go. Don't step on my right, Miguel right, opening, right, Dame. All right, all right. Okay. 
Oh, that's so good. Let's get started. <laughs> oh. Damn, you didn't like try to trick the show by telling people to react to me in a certain way, did you? Of course not. That's not entertaining. Well, for one person, it's not. Okay. Don't try to don't try to be the puppet master. Uh-oh. Oh, oh, Dave, don't kill the vibe. I'm in a good mood today. Don't mess me up. All right, plans off, everybody. Plans off. Yeah, don't take do the, it. nope, don't, don't do, do that. Why would you kill the vibe of the show? Use your head. All right, here we go. You ready? Yes. Three, two, one. This week on the Pete the Planner Show, we answer your money questions. Here's how the show works. You email us, askpete at petetheplanner.com. That's askpete at petetheplanner.com, and we will answer your question. This week, some people did email us, but in your question's fine. We might actually get to it, but we got other stuff we're doing. And by we, I mean uh, Damian Dunn, no relation, uh, joins us, Vice President of Advice at Your Money Line. Hello, Dame. Hello, Pete. Dame, uh, two things we're talking about this week. The first, you you noticed um, a... a Something really interesting that matters a lot to you and I in its its advisor fees, like how much investment advisors charge for their services. You happened to have noticed you you got access to a really high fee that we're going to discuss. Mm-hmm. And what we have, it's also a big disclaimer week here on the show. Oh yes, we because we're going to be talking about specific situations. What we don't want you to do as a listener is to think we're speaking in generalities in which we're throwing everyone under the bus. Is that fair, Dan? Very fair. We are also going to cover my car buying experience from this previous weekend, of which I'm going to tell you a story and give you some perspective. And I also want to note that I am not going to be throwing anyone under the bus, but it is uh, it is worth having a fair and honest conversation about how that all went down. Dame, we're going to go uh, a little chat roulette here. What do you want to do? Where do you want to start? I'm putting it to you live on the air. What are we doing? Let's go with advisors. All right. So, Dame, there are a couple different ways to compensate an investment advisor. Uh, oftentimes they are broken down into two categories, but there are really more than that. But we're going to start with the two major ones. There's what's called fee-based mm-hmm. and commission-based. We'll start by describing commission-based based on how much you buy. There's a percentage of that deal that goes to the advisor and that's called commission-based. And the last decade and a half, if not two decades, there's been a lot of scrutiny on commission-based advisors as to suggesting that they're going to want you to constantly buy new stuff so they can generate fees from the transactions. And those criticisms are both with merit and to some degree without merit. Why, why is that? Uh, I mean, an advisor is, um, should be compensated for the, the work that they do. Uh, not everybody is going to work in the same way or build their business the same way. And if they choose to build off of commissions, then then so be it. But they need to be upfront and clear about how uh, how you are going to be charged. Now, you know, commissions uh, can also be charged in a number of ways. Uh, Pete, I'm sure you remember, uh, there were three main types of mutual funds you could sell: A shares, B shares, and C shares. You know, 20 years ago, uh, and they all had different structures for <clears throat> for um, commissions. And uh, through enough uh, consideration and and concern. B shares no longer exist because of how that commission structure was set up or the surrender charges that came along with B shares. Um, so now you're left with two, but <clears throat> commissions can be a perfectly valid way 
to pay a, pay an advisor. They can be perfectly fine. So don't uh, you don't have to run for the hills if somebody says they're paid on commission. Yeah, I, I agree with you there because what always concerned me is when you're like, well, commission-based advisors don't have do what's in your best interest. That's not true. That's just simply not true. It's 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 acknowledging and observing a pay structure and then jumping to this conclusion that the person is somehow getting over on you. And that's just not the case, which is also true of a fee-based advisor who earns a set fee, whether it be a percentage of your total assets or a flat dollar amount fee based on the advice that they give you. And, and Dame, the assertion for the last couple of decades in our industry is by default, this person is more honest than the person charging you a commission, which also is a falsehood because it does that doesn't even make sense. That is also jumping to a strange conclusion. Yeah, fee advisors, you know, always had this, uh, and I would assume they still do have this uh, almost assumption uh, of uh, fiduciary responsibility. And, and nowadays, that does come as part of the the package. It didn't always. Uh, happen that way though. So uh, you could potentially get wrapped into a uh, advisory account where you're paying fees, sometimes lots and lots of different fees and uh, end up in worse shape than if you just dealt with a commission-based advisor. So it, it, one does not necessarily connote a better uh, deal for you than the other. What's the difference between connote and denote? Uh, a C and a D. Dame, uh, the standard fee that a lot of people look at on fee-based advice, sort of the the marker, if you will, is 1%, mm -hmm. okay? So what happens is, let's say you've got a million dollars to invest and I'm using round numbers because they're easier on the radio uh, and there is a 1% management fee. It means you pay your advisor uh, uh, $10,000 a year to manage your $1 million. That is 1%. Dame, does the math check out? I believe so. Okay, so that the standard good, bad, or otherwise, is 1%. What you often see is the more money you have, the lower that those basis points go. So 1% in the financial world is called 100 basis points. So if you ever talk to a financial person or anyone in the financial world, they'll just say uh, it's 100 basis points, but they describe it to advisor or investors as, uh, as 1%. Now, Dane, what you see is you see those basis points start chipping away when it goes up to 2 million or 5 million, or even at a million, mm -hmm. and you can find its way down to 75 basis points, down to 50 basis points. Where, where do you think most high end, a million dollars or more, where do you think they land right, in that 75 basis points area? Somewhere between 75 and 90 would be my guess. Okay. That is also to say that you can climb above, there's nothing restricting you from climbing above uh, 100 basis points. But I would also note that in the same way that a real estate transaction typically costs you six to seven percent, mm -hmm. um, if all of a sudden the real estate transaction costs you, oh, I don't know, 19% or 18%, that would be somewhat troublesome, wouldn't it, Dave? Absolutely. So when you saw a fee this week at two and a half percent, you sent it to me. And I've seen it, of course, but you and I love to talk about this. Two and a half percent's a lot. Yeah. It is um, not the standard, uh, at least what I hope is not the standard. And by industry reports, I, I know it's not the standard. And to be fair uh, to this particular advisor and their firm, it was a range it capped out at 2.5%. However, 
when you are thinking about entering into a relationship with an advisor, you've got to figure out all of the services that come along with it. Maybe this advisor is doing all sorts of stuff. Maybe they're preparing your taxes for you and sending them off. Maybe they are doing a whole bunch of uh, legal uh, estate work behind the scenes, and it's getting wrapped into this advisory fee. Maybe sensual massage. Absolutely. Uh, Oils are going to go up in price. I can just see that based on everything that's going on in Europe. (laughs) That's funny. Uh, Wait, I got to laugh at you publicly. (laughs) That was funny. I mean, my joke was funny, but yours was funnier. Yeah. Uh, So that is part of the consideration. You have to figure out what uh, services are being included in the fee and are they reasonable. Do the quick math, figure out if you were to separate those out uh, and, and take those on individually, would you be in the same neighborhood? However... Two and a half percent. That's a lot. Is a lot. And I know on the face of it, somebody says two and a half percent. Well, it's not that much. But when we start talking about real money, real dollars, oh my goodness. You talk about chipping into your uh, long-term growth, the ability for you to uh, amass wealth. Chances are, uh, and to be fair, they're not charging two and a half percent to somebody who's got $5 million with them. No, it's someone making $100,000 or less, and you you know it's something like that. And don't get me wrong. Does it cost $2,500 to service someone making $100,000 or less? Maybe. 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 But but what most people do is then they don't work with people that make $100,000 or less because it's it's not the fiduciary thing to do. Yeah. And you and I have been critical of people who don't work with lower uh, asset people. We've been critical of that, mm-hmm. but I'll tell you the solution is not to crank the fee up uh, to two and a half percent. Yeah. You, you still have to do what's right by the client. Uh, and and you can say, well, the client has the chance to say no, but sometimes the client doesn't know any better. Let's do this. Let's take a break. Let's, let's catch our breath <laughs> and then let's come back and let's explore this a little bit deeper. And then a car buying story for the millennium. I'm Peter Dunn. Pete the Planner, and this is the Pete the Planner show. That's a lot. What do you think the threshold is, 100? Maybe. Um, But I know other advisors in town, uh, in, in my area, who routinely charge a buck 25 to people with a quarter million. A buck twenty-five at a quarter million—that's a—that's a little bit more fair. Yeah. Again, it goes into the services that are being provided and all that. But um, <clears throat> you know, I should I save it? Save it because I have okay. the same thought. Okay. <laughs> hey, Craig P. Anderson, everybody. Oh. Uh, how to get a great deal on a Porsche coming up? Uh, quite the opposite, by the way. <laughs> Uh, Craig P. Anderson came to a little leadership uh, thing for our little, makes it seem uh, small. I don't know why I did that, but it was an hour and a half. Uh, for our executive team, does a great job. Clear Path Coaching. Check out Craig P. Anderson. He, he fire hosed us, Dame. I've already shared uh, the quote, problems don't age well twice with, with two other people. I've shared it twice today. <laughs> I've shared it like, um, obviously problems don't age well. I doubt that's Craig's quote, but I think the value of, uh, uh, someone like Craig is that they can, they become a compendium of all of these things. And, uh, that was, that was really great. So, yeah. um, let's just hit it because I've got spicy thoughts. Um, who know, I, this could be two segments and then the carbine, which itself is like a two hour story. I don't know. They were getting super Peter this week. Extra long. All right. Ooh. 
Ready, set, grow. Ready, set, grow. Um, I remember in fourth grade, we call it family life is what it was. And I got home. My mom has told me this story since. I don't remember it, but she's she has re, retold it to me because it was so funny. Um, and she asked me what I learned that day. It was at a dinner table. And I, and I said, um, you better pray that your parents don't have bad teeth, <laughs> right? Because in the video, apparently there was the, both the parents had like real bad teeth. And then the kid <laughs> who was part of this family in the video had bad teeth too. Then <laughs> my takeaway as a 10 year old was dental hygiene, which is really funny. I can't take credit for it, even though it was me. But it's funny when you're a kid and you're they're wanting us to understand g- genetics, right? Sure. They're they're wanting us to understand like how your body's going to change. And my takeaway was if your parents have bad teeth, you're screwed. The powers of observation were strong with you even when you were young. I will note, um, <clears throat> you know, I used to watch all these different videos when you're in kid. That's how they taught you things back in the day. <laughs> there was this. Never mind. That that took a turn in my head that I couldn't recover from. Thank God for Miguel. Kirkland Signature Cold Brew Coffee 100% Colombian. That's the power of Miguel. Me gusta Miguel. Olivia, if you are listening, uh, I would She's encourage not. you to uh, make sure that you reach out to Costco slash Kirkland to see if we can get a sponsorship deal. Okay, here we go. In three, two, Back on the Pete the Planner Show, talking advisor fees. Dame, I am not an investment advisor. I was. You are not an investment advisor. You were. Uh, But we're talking about investment advisor fees, the standard in the industry of what to pay your investment advisors, about 1%, 100 basis points. So you take the amount of assets they're managing for you, you multiply that by 1%, and that is typically your fee for their work that year. That is not to suggest that it's the end of your fees because you still have to, at times, pay fees on the investments themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, what you know, If they were mutual funds, they would be things like called 12B1 fees, but that's neither here nor there. Dame, cares, you and I, during the break, wanted to sort of talk about this, and we quickly said, save it for the air. <laughs> I have a very cogent thought that I would like to share, but I would like to hear yours first, because we got the same look on our face uh, during the break. So <clears throat> I'm almost certainly going to go a different route than you are, uh, but oh. I remember, I, but I am, I, I remember uh, the last few years that I was in the game, uh, all the concern, all the, all, all the talk was fee compression, fee compression, fee, co- it's, it's going down because there's going to be so much competition. You're going to have to figure out a way to, 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 uh, bring new clients in fees have to go down to be able to work with people and, and, and show, uh, show them they're getting a good deal. I don't think that's been the case at all. I, I think it's actually potentially gone the other way. Um, you know, depending on what industry report you see, Maybe that's the case. Maybe it's not. But from my, you know, little bits of of information I can still get out of my friends who still do this, I don't think fees are any less than what they used to be. And I I would guess they're probably maybe 10 basis points higher on average. All right. Definitely not the direction I was going. And you're right, uh, in my opinion. 
There has been fee compression, though, at the institutional level, right? Mm -hmm. your, your 401k that you have through your um, company or your employer, I should say, tons of fee compression there. I mean, a ton of fee mm -hmm. compression to the point where it's, it, it, it's, it has negative ramifications, uh, in, in my opinion. And I also have to note I'm biased because we live on the uh, outskirts of the 401k world and the work mm -hmm. that we do in financial wellness. Here was my thought, Dame. And this one's not going to gain any friends. Um, let's go back to real estate for a second. Let's say you put your home on the market and you sell your home and you have a $200,000 home and the fees to sell your home are $14,000. So 7%, $14,000 of $200,000 deal. And let's say you put your home up and it sells the same day. Did your realtor do $14,000 worth of work? Did they add $14,000 worth of value, right? An uncomfortable question to ask uh, in a vacuum. Alas, we are not in a vacuum. We're talking about financial advisors. Dame, if you have a million-dollar portfolio and your advisor charges you $10,000 to manage it, Dame, where's the... Where's the call? Like, what's the wh why? Well, I mean, how many meetings are you getting? How much FaceTime are you getting with the advisor? How much uh, work it goes into your monitoring your financial plan? Um, and then the other services that could be provided. It, it does get to a point, though, where you have to ask, all right, how much time does an advisor and his team or her team have reasonably in um, servicing my my um, portfolio and my my financial life each year. Does it add up to be a, a reasonable hourly rate? Because a lot of advisors do have hourly rates in their ADVs. If you wanted to get financial planning and just straight financial planning, um, I don't know. I, it's something that I wrestled with myself for a long time. Was okay. What value am I actually providing to somebody? If I'm just charging a flat, you know, if I'm getting a flat fee and I'm meeting with them once or twice a year and the investments are largely taken care of by uh, a rebalancing uh, piece of software, um, it just, it, it comes to a point where you have to be very honest with yourself and, and, uh, and how you're going to do business. And if you're comfortable with that, then okay, you, you can do it. Clearly, I'm just playing Satan's advocate. <laughs> but... Wow. I don't know. I got, I got aggressive. Wow. You know, if you see devil's advocate, people are like, yeah, how about Beazelbob's advocate? Um, <laughs> I, look, I, I think advisors a lot of times absolutely do earn their money. And it is about compressed knowledge is something that, that mm -hmm. I, I like to, to, to acknowledge. So let's overshare. Dame, um, I, I get paid to speak for a living from time to time. Mm-hmm. Okay, like, I mean, people fly me to a place, I talk for an hour and they pay me an amount of money and then I go home. And I generally have consumed a lot of the local delicacies. Now, if you think, well, is my hourly rate what my speaking fee is? Or do I just charge that every hour of my 40 hour week? No, I, I don't. But it's the compressed knowledge. It's, mm -hmm. it's all of the experience that goes into being able to put together the most compelling 60 minutes and that's why I can charge what I'm able to charge. And so the same can be said about any professional consulting. And, and if your investment advisor is helping you accomplish something, 
it's not always just about the time they're using on your account or the time they're uh, you know, selling you on your account. It's about their uh, compressed knowledge. Do you, do you buy that? I do. I, if you look at, um, I think Vanguard did a study a number of years ago on uh, the value that advisors provide to their customers and how much roughly uh, it makes a difference in their portfolio. The biggest component, if I remember correctly to that study, was that advisors prevent people from making silly mistakes or, or totally. shooting, them, shooting themselves in the foot. If I think I want to say it was like one and a half percent is how much value that adds to somebody's portfolio. So if you're charging a percent annually, annually, annually. So if you're charging a percent, they're still coming out ahead on top of whatever services you're providing them in addition to that. Is that always the case though? Probably more often than not, but do you need a CFP to prevent somebody from making a financial mistake? Depends on what area we're talking about. What I'm saying is you have to be careful about what you're trying to get out of the relationship. Is it just strictly investment advice? Is somebody just making a running portfolio for you? Okay. Maybe have a fee in line for that. Is it uh, complete financial uh, planning and estate planning? That is very valuable for a lot of people, and there needs to be a fee associated with that. That's why you see a lot of advisors now charging separately for the financial plan instead of baking it into the overall uh, fee that, that somebody's paying for investment management. So make sure that you understand what you're paying for, what you're getting, what you hope to get out of it. There is value in working with an, uh, an investment or a financial planner. We've, we've encouraged people to, to work with financial planners uh, from the first time I was on this show. So it's, it's not we're anti-financial planner at all, but this is uh, more of a plea to make sure you understand what you are getting for the fee you're paying and that you're comfortable with it. And if the fee is 2.5% because you don't have enough to invest, unless you're like, I have to be with this investment advisor because they're bringing me so much more value, it's likely that they're charging you 2.5% to justify working with someone like you. And that, oh, that sounds horrible, mm -hmm. but it's likely you should work with someone else. I mean, that's okay. That's an honest conversation and, and no one should feel bad about that. The investment advisor shouldn't feel bad about it. You as the client should not feel bad about it. I should not feel bad talking about it. And, and it really plays into what we're talking about next. So I sold my car this weekend to a car dealer because I didn't want to list it privately because I didn't want to, my expectation, I did not want to deal with that. So I took less money that I could have gotten selling it myself. And, and some people think that like, well, you could have just taken the time. I didn't want to, I didn't want to, I don't want a brownie recipe. I want to make a box of brownies and I will pay a premium for a good box of brownies because I don't want to make them myself. So coming up after the break, we're going to talk about one of the strangest consumer experiences I've ever had. It lasted uh, north of 10 hours this weekend. All of that is next right here on the car buying experience. I'm Pete the Planner. Ten, I haven't told you anything about my experience, have I? Ten hours? Just relax. I don't. Settle down. Have you figured, has anyone figured out what the lyrics are this week? Dame, this is how I know that like we aren't related. You know, sometimes people are like, come on, you're definitely related. We're not related because you don't know these lyrics. No. Anybody? Bueller? This was the first cassette tape I owned. Really? In 19, 
second grade or third grade, probably 86. Um, I, I bought two tapes at the same time. I bought this tape and I bought Guns N' Roses um, Appetite, Appetite for, for Destruction. Destruction. Holy smokes. So this, this tape was Run DMC's Raising Hell. And this is Peter Piper, which is the first track off the album. So Peter Piper picked Peppers. But I'm not going to rap yeah, on my radio not, show. That yeah. seemed like very regretful, very quick. <laughs> um, all right. God damn it. Someone's going to tell you it was entertaining. Chad Force and I were having a really funny conversation before the show, but it's, it's definitely not a show, show topic. Hmm. Thanks for bringing it up. <laughs> um, okay. Are you ready for my carbine story? Like we only have a, we only have nine minutes and 40 seconds though. So if you have a question that you need answered in this, it's like to get the information that you need to feel this way about whatever, get it out. You know what I mean? Like yeah. interrupt me. Okay. Yeah. You're going to have to compress 10 hours into nine minutes. <clears throat> Jeez. I'm sitting here trying to think, how do I self edit this? I, I got a good 30 seconds of disclaimers. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's go. I, All right. I mean, I'm not in a hurry. Uh, look, I just want to hang out with big Rick Swink. How can you be named Rick and not have people call you big Rick? I mean, I don't even know the size of Rick. Rick could be an average sized man. Could be. Let's, not, talk, let's not find out. Let's just I was t- uh, talking to a guy this morning. The guy's like six, four and the guy's talking about his sister played volleyball. And I was like, well, um, she's tall right he's like no she's only like 5'11 and i'm like i'm 5'9 <laughs> nah she's only 5'11 i'm like well i'm right here can you see me rick swink 6'3 it's not huge what are you 6'1 yeah nah she's only 5'11 i'm right here okay Three, two, one. Back on the Pete the Planner show. Dane bought a car this weekend. Mm-hmm. Let's let's hear more. Uh, first, let's get through the disclaimers. Truly not a car guy. I don't care, but I need a car. Mm-hmm. And I want a reliable car. Uh, and I want a good value, but I just don't care. Now, uh, also, these are the more important disclaimers. I am not disparaging the automobile business, the car buying experience. Uh, my comments today are primarily going to revolve around supply and demand and how that has severely impacted the consumer experience. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you a firsthand experience of what I went through. Um, I am not necessarily right. My observations are my observations and my perspective, and I blame no one uh, for what I went through this weekend. Is that is that fair? Like, what I don't want is like a someone in the car dealership world to email me and think that I'm disparaging anyone other than just sharing my experience. Do you feel like that's clear? I've wasted a minute on this. Do you feel that's clear? I am so excited to see where this goes. I left my home at 8.45 a.m. on Saturday morning, and I said to my wife, I have basically two months to find a new car because I have a lease. I'm coming off of a lease. I got I to gotta be done. So I go out to the first dealership. I arrive at 8.59. And they, they open at nine. Mm-hmm. This is the, the car that I thought I wanted. I walk around the lot. They don't have any of those cars. In fact, as I'm looking around the lot, they, I could not see a single new car mm-hmm. that they had on the lot. And I thought to myself in my micro 
a calculation. Oh boy, this seems like a problem. So I did have some kind time constraints in two ways. I had two months to get this done. Mm -hmm. And then I quickly realized that this was not going to be an easy process, which that feeling gathered as the day went on. And so then I thought, this is actually the only day, truly the only day, because soccer season's starting. This is the only day I have in the next two months to dedicate hours to this. And that is not an exaggeration. So I went to the next dealership. Talked to a guy, uh, got into a car. He said, do you want to test drive it? And I said, look, I got two months to make this decision. He said, I feel you. Come inside for a second. I was like, okay, okay. I, I'm a good customer in the sense that I'll, I'll let someone do their job. I'm not going to try to jump in front of it. He said, look, at this point in time, that is the only car I have on my lot. And it came in light, late last night. He said, are you looking for a new car? I said, well, I'm looking to lease. And so he said, okay, so yes. He said, at this point in time, people are ordering what is going to come in in the next 30 days. He goes, so if you want to look at my list and see if something that catches you, if, if you like it, you can put money down on it. If not, um, you come in tomorrow, it's probably not going to be available because there's so much demand and so little supply. And he said, and I want to tell you something else that is unique to our dealership or unique to our brand is that most of our wire harnesses are made in Ukraine. And these other dealerships or these other car manufacturers are in the same boat. He said, so our supply is getting worse. And Damon, this conversation, this quickly turned into not a guy trying to sell me a car. This turned into a guy saying, hey, look, I just want you to understand what you're up against based on what you shared with me. Wow. So you see the complexity of this already. Yeah. So, so this is 30 minutes in to my car buying uh, expedition, of which I told my wife I'd be home by 11 a.m. <laughs> So I'm like, you know how I am. I love information. I love information. And when I get information, I synthesize that information so I can move forward. And so at this point in time at 9.30 a.m., I'm like, it's happening today. And it wasn't about um, it wasn't about me wanting a new car. It was, it was a practical decision. And so then I went home briefly and I, I shared with Mrs. Planner what my plan was. And, and what I also ended up doing was blowing up her Saturday, right? Because now she's with the kid. Like, I just blew up my whole family Saturday. So I go down to the south side of Indianapolis. That doesn't really matter. I wish I hadn't said that. And I went to a dealership of which I thought I wanted to get that type of car. Uh, but in the meantime, I, as part of this, to make this work, I had to buy out my lease that same day, two months early, and then find a place to sell that car to. And so I'm doing this on the fly, in the car. I find a dealership on the south side of which I could sell my car and make $9,000 based on the residual value of this lease. So that, that in my head, that is a done deal. But I can't do that deal until I do the other car deal because it was possible that day I ended up with two cars on the south side or no cars on the south side and the goal was to come up with one car on the south side. Dame, you and I are a lot the same in one capacity here. We love a complex problem. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm just imagining uh, the, the figures and, and logistics oh. floating in front of your eyes at this point. So I'm both hating this and loving this, right? I, I love the challenge of like, okay, let's go. 
And, and also, I'm coming from a place of privilege. Like I, I, things are fine. Like, uh, like uh, it's a problem of my own making. Like everyone, like I'm not asking for your sympathy. I'm just telling you what I've experienced. So I went to this dealership and I saw the car I liked. I test drove it. They had some. Driving this car, I'd convinced myself over the last couple of weeks, this is the car I'm going to get. Didn't like it. Really? Didn't like it. Too big. Felt like a boat. Didn't like it. As I'm pulling back into the dealership, I see another car. I was like, what in the world is that? And the guy was like, what's this? And, and I was like, what is that? And he's like, well, it's the 23. Yeah. And it looked exactly like the car I was about to sell down the street. So I was like, well, let me look at that. He's like, you want to drive it? I was like, yeah, let's drive it. He goes, like, this is the first one we've had. So I start driving and I'm like, I want this car. Like, like 10 minutes in. So I, I get there at 2.30 by 2.45. I'm like, I want this car. I leave that dealership at 7.30 at night with my new car. And it took five hours for me to get this car. Credit problems. <laughs> no. <laughs> Uh, but a different show, different topic. I did get to sit there for five hours and watch other people navigate the car yeah. buying process, which th that starts to feel judgmental. So that's sure. not the point yeah. of the story. Here's where it got. There were some fees associated with, uh, you know, market price, adjusted market uh, pricing, all of this. That, and I was like, man, I don't know. And I, and I wasn't playing like leverage guy. I was just like, what can you do here? Because this doesn't make sense to me. And the guy looked me straight in the eye, the, the finance manager. And he's like, he's like, um, Turn around. I don't, I'm on hidden camera. <laughs> I, I turn around. There's there's dozens of car buyers. They have three cars on the lot. He goes, if you don't buy this, someone else is going to buy it. And you're back in the same position. And like this, again, not a sales technique. Sounds like a sales technique. Could be a sales technique. And And I was like, I did more math. I got more information. I was like, you know what? He's right. And if I go two more months leasing my car, I'm going to be in a worse position with less time to deal with it. So I, I did the deal. And I still ended up in a good spot. I got a nice car that was a lot cheaper than my last car. I, I think it's a good idea. I get better gas mileage. I can use a lesser quality fuel. And I made $9,000 on the day. But Dame, the car buyer has less than zero leverage right now. No leverage whatsoever. And it's going to get worse over the next couple months. If you have to buy a car, first of all, make sure you have to buy a car. Make sure you have to absolutely do it. And if you're thinking, well, that's why I buy used, that market's actually worse. I mean, you didn't technically have to buy one. You could have just bought your lease out and kept it. True. But I did the math, okay, a spreadsheet, uh, <laughs> that suggested that my better bet was to buy it out at its peak, um, sell it at its peak, pocket $9,000, and then release another car. So anyway, the, the takeaway is this. The dealership did nothing wrong, but it was a horrible experience because I sat there for five hours with perfect credit, like an 840, right? And, and I had money, and it, and it took five hours after I said yes. It was wild. Yikes. I know. Then the, I was leaving. The guy was like, oh, you're going to get a survey um, <laughs> uh, to, to say how this experience went. If we get anything less than a 10, we fail. And I was like, we have a relationship now. I've been here for five hours. I've spent more time with you this week than my kids. Hmm. I don't. 
How can I give them? So after the break, I'm going to talk about like, how do we, how do I score these people given that I was there for five hours? All right. Because I'm not trying to get anybody in trouble. That's next on the Pete the Planner show. I'm Pete the Planner. Was that the least you've talked in a segment since you've been on the show? Yeah, I think I said or groaned oh. like 10 uh, words. Yeah. Uh, sorry. It's all right. But I mean, it's sort it's of the narrative. Story. So I guess I want to talk about this on the air, but I don't, I don't, I don't want to give, I'm not a Yelp man. <laughs> like, right. I'm not like this person offended. Me. I don't want to do, I don't want any part of that, but it was also not great. Sorry, Rick. Uh, I'm not going to tell you what type of car. Actually, I will. I will. I, I, it's a Kia. It's a Kia Sportage, a 2023. I don't know why I wouldn't tell. I mean, who gives a crap? Uh, it's nice. It's like, it's super nice. It's, it's, it's exactly like my old car, which was a luxury car, but I don't care. Uh, and that's also what I've discovered in this process. Yeah, like most, uh, like most Americans, uh, cars are appliances uh, for you. Oh, they, that, they just, I've never heard that. They just need to work and get you from point A to point B reliably. So, Dame, I emailed the car salesperson the next day asking a question about the car, and they didn't email me back. I emailed him another day; they didn't email me back. And yet now he's telling me that with the survey, I've got to give him a perfect score, but I don't, I don't want to be involved. I, so the solution here is to not fill out the survey, isn't it? Or just be honest. Why? What's it matter? Well, I mean, I guess that's up to you, but. But I mean, that's the thing. Like I, I, let's say you go to a restaurant and you don't like how they make their mashed potatoes. Who cares? Yeah, but if, if somebody's actively soliciting your opinion. But he's actively soliciting it, say anything less than perfect, and I I get in trouble. He well, that's not someone who wants feedback. We, we need somebody from the car industry to tell us what the deal is with those surveys in in reality, because every every dealership says anything less than a ten, and we fail, and we you know, we get problems. That can't be right. Yeah, Craig Anderson says. Uh, pardon me, Craig P. Anderson. Sorry for the disrespect. I'd go with a sternly worded Yelp review under an assumed name. Hey, I've done that. I'm just like not there now. I mean, not not this time around, but I've done this sort of thing. I don't I don't even know if it's about extending grace to the situation. It's just like I kind of want to be done with it. I get that. I don't. Mrs. Planner bit her lip. I mean, let she can her, say whatever she wants to me. Let her write it. She was not, she was just like, you seriously killed it an entire Saturday to get this done. And, and she trusts me and, and believes me, but she thinks I'm exaggerating when I said I did not have another multi-hour block for the next two months to get this done. I stand by that. I stand by that, especially through the lens of the car supply is getting worse. And, um, then I have a harder deadline that would result in less leverage, but I don't know how many, how I could have any less leverage than I had on Saturday. Not in the short term. The other thing I was like, okay, well, I, I'm selling this car to premium. I can make 9,000. I, well, I could just buy a used car, the couple, you know, 20,000 miles or something like that. But then I started looking at the prices and how much of the premium they're trading at. And that made no sense, yeah. which is usually my jam. That's what I used to do all the time. Craig P. Anderson makes a great point in the comments. Okay. If the perfect 10 were that big of a deal, they should disclose it at the beginning of the transaction, not as a guilt trip at the end. Holy crap. See, this is why you hire clear path coaching yeah. and consulting. 
That's a great point. Tim Estes notes. Hey, Tim. Car dealerships are trying to win national awards. Why they want the 10 survey results. They don't really want to know how they did. Jeez. Y'all are dropping some bombs. It's true. I mean, again, I, 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 maybe it's true. I, I'm not trying to throw anyone under the bus. I, I just like as a, as a car buyer, as a, as, a, as a consumer, it's weird when you've been on one end of the spectrum in terms of leverage and you end up on the other end in a couple year period. And, and I understand the dynamics of the situation, but Dame, it's not like you go in to buy a pizza and they're like, hey, it's $9. And, and I go, I, I'd like to pay seven. <laughs> I'd like to pay seven. Uh, it's, but what this is saying now is, hey, the pizza's $9, but we're actually going to charge you 11 now. That, right. That's what's weird. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's got to be tough to a, a certain degree for the salespeople on the floor, too. I mean, they've got zero inventory to, to, to uh, you know, show people around. And you're you know, selling stuff off of uh, you know, receivables at that point. It's, it's not a good situation for anybody involved. Big Rick Swink notes. Um, I used I used to sell bikes at Harley Davidson. By the way, anytime someone says I used to sell bikes at Harley Davidson, the idea that he uses that jargon because I would say I would uh, sell motorcycles hmm. at uh, like the Rick's a man. Survey results affected how we were allocated new bikes. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, so anyway, um, woe is me. Tiny violins for the guy who's fine. Um, I just wanted to share like. Uh, supply chain issues create havoc. And, and, and this next point I have not made publicly. I, I wrote about this in the IBJ this week. I talked about it on the IBJ podcast this week. This next topic I have not said publicly yet. I said it to Mrs. Planner, and she sort of gave me that a look of an emoji where the eyes are rolling back in their head. But I'm going to share it with all of you. Situations like this are where customer service goes to die. Because these folks are so stressed, they're asked to be car hunters. Like they're 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 selling cars on a on a spreadsheet allocated from from their manufacturer. Their, their job has completely changed, and not that I need to feel served. Like uh, it's not the point, but it's just like me sitting there for five hours. After expressing I wanted to buy a car that was there that I could written a check for, mm -hmm. even if I would have written a check for it, it, it's like that is the death of customer service. And and that's me sounding like Andy Rooney. But there it is. Your eyebrows aren't nearly as big as Andy's. I've got some bushy eyebrow situation going on. Are, are, do you trim? Or do you pluck? What do you do? Trim. I'm a, I'm a plucker. Really? Yeah, that's not surprising. Mm. <laughs> that's Big the plucker. least surprising. Big plucker. Uh, I, I feel like I've heard you call me something like that before. Mm, probably. Not to your face. <laughs> <laughs> Look at you. Two jokes today. Both got to laugh. Actually, yeah. several jokes. Just two of them got to laugh. I give the credit to Miguel. Um, I want to thank you for having effective sound this week so I can post the show. You're welcome. That By the way, hundred percent chance that Rick had a leather vest when he sold Harley Davidson's. It's called a cut. Is it? Yeah, a leather vest when you ride bikes is called a cut. I had no idea. Look at you. Yeah, I watched Sons of Anarchy. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I feel entertaining today. I'm going to be honest. Uh, we're not the final judge of that, so we'll see how this does. I don't know. I just feel engaging today. Yeah. I have a lunch coming up with a young advisor that I really like. 
Um, What's he charge? <laughs> you know, I'll ask him. Um, Rick says he just got a cut. Nice. <laughs> okay, let's let's do a show. Um, Wait, do you remember dude. like some of the the comments we got a few years ago? Like, just talk about money, and it's like, why? <laughs> Listen to something else. Just seriously, stop listening to us if that's what you're looking for. There are plenty of good financially focused podcasts. We sprinkle it yeah. in. We sprinkle it in. <clears throat> I promise you. And I don't know this, but I promise you, if you look at the top 100 financial podcasts, um, top 10 are probably a lot, have a lot to do with money. Mm-hmm. I'm not interested in being in the top 10 because I don't want to do that. I don't like what's the point? It's the commodity at that point. Yeah. They're great. They're great. And we know some of those people, but I don't mm-hmm. want any part of it. Yeah, yeah it's uh, it's a, a valuable uh, service that is being put out there, a valuable piece of entertainment. But uh we choose to go our own path. Well, I choose to go my own path. You're along for the ride. I, I, I get drug. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you, this is sort of involuntary for you. Okay. Three, two, one. This week's biggest waste of the money of the week right here on the Pizza Planet Show is, well, a couple things. Um, after the break or before the break, uh, this is now after the break, I, I noted I was going to make some final comment about my car buying experience. Dan, what was it? Whether I'm going to fill out the survey or not? Oh, that's where we were going, but I have no idea what comment you were going to make, and I frankly wondered how you were going to do it in the fourth segment. Uh, well, I'll do this. Um, I'm not filling out the survey. Okay. Because I just want to be done with it, and I'm not trying to get anybody in trouble. Like I'm, I was like, oh, let me talk to your manager. I don't want any part of that. I don't care. Thanks for the car. I hope you have more inventory. No offense. Like I'm done, right? And maybe you can call and say, you know what? I'm feeling this is more of a 9 than a 10. Uh, maybe some oil changes will bump that up. Dude, that's not how I roll. Get some leverage. You want that leverage back. I don't want leverage. I want to be done. Okay, so this week's biggest waste of money of the week is actually not a waste of money. I'm going this week, Dame, with a great use of money. It's the Patagonia by Dogfish Head Kernza Pills Beer. Something about the great outdoors just makes beer taste better. Echo-conscious brand Patagonia apparently knows this and thus has partnered with Delaware-based Dogfish Head on Kernza Pills. Kernza's roots improve the surrounding soil and draw carbon out of the atmosphere and into the dirt, making the beer good for the planet. The German-style Pilsner is available now in 15 lucky states. Dame, I know nothing about this. I don't know how much it costs. Here's what I know, and I'm just going to be as honest as I can. I love the Patagonia brand. I am a suburban dad, and that's what I wear. Uh, my father was uh, very, uh, and still is, a huge fan of Patagonia. When he and I used to go mountaineering together when I was a teen, and he loved Patagonia. And so I saw this can, and I saw this beer, and I thought, yeah, I'm in. I'm in. By the way, Jameson, uh, former all-time great listener, noted, uh, I'm rolling my eyes so hard right now at Patagonia beer. Yeah, well, I hope you enjoyed your run. No. <laughs> Um, Dame, what's in the news? Oh, wait, by the way, Patagonia is not your jam. I wouldn't be opposed to wearing it, but I, it's not nearly the, uh, fixture in my life that it sounds like it is yours. Yeah. I am slightly emotionally tied to it, you know, cause I'm yeah. my dad and I do like it. Um, and yeah. So anyway, what's in the news this week? Uh, first story brought to us by team member Lisa, medical bills have become a source of major financial trouble for millions of Americans, amounting to the largest source of personal debt in the U.S. Now the top three credit reporting agencies plan to drop most medical debt from consumers' credit reports starting 
this summer. The announcement comes as federal regulators and consumer advocates are increasingly scrutinizing the issue of medical debt with the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau early this month criticizing the nation's medical billing system for failing consumers. Errors related to medical debt are common on credit reports, and consumers often have difficulty clearing up the problems, the agency said. I have thoughts. Oh? I didn't put them in the Slack channel because I was doing something else uh, while everyone else was giving their thoughts and talking about it. I was being a bad coworker. They might have thoughts, and, 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 and it could be you know, rooted in a misunderstanding of what this is saying, but here's my understanding. Please tell me if I'm right. The debts aren't going away. It's the logging of the debts, correct or incorrect, is going away. Correct. By the they, bureaus. Yeah, the debts remain the uh, the record of the debts. Uh, goes away for I mean, let me. See. The top three credit reporting agencies said they are making several changes in how they handle medical debt. They include paid medical debt will be dropped from the consumer's credit reports. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Makes sense. The time period uh, before unpaid medical debts and collections will appear on credit report will increase from six months to a year. So you've got a longer buffer Fine. period to that try makes and get sense. it taken care of. And the credit bureaus will drop medical collection debt under $500 from credit reports. Okay, that one's fine. So those are the changes? Uh, those are the three that were highlighted. I, I don't know what else may be included. So here's my concern, and, and this sounds insincere, and it sounds like I'm the man beating people down. I'm not. What my concern would be is it doesn't make the debt go away. It just means the debt prevents you from borrowing more money at a lower rate. And yeah. so that is, to me, a bit of a red herring, right? It's a bit of a, of a distraction to say, ah, don't worry, you're fine. Um, I, now, do I want people to lose out on low interest rates because they have old medical debts? No, of course not. I mean, the medical system needs help. But I would note that that medical debt could still come back and get you if it's with a collector, uh, a collection agency. Uh, I think, I, I think we, we can't skim over that. Yeah, I mean, debt, um, medical debts are often um, more generous in how they can be repaid. So I could see how having a lingering uh, piece of information like this on your credit report could be um, detrimental to some of the other things that, that just need to be taken care of in your financial life that require some debt. But uh, yeah, I, I think this might need a little bit of clarification for uh, those that, it, that it's going to impact. But I, I have to think this is a step in the right direction. Totally agree. I don't want to yuck everyone's yum, but you know, still worth learning. Dane, what else is the news? Tech companies are learning what most of us already knew. Teenagers are scary. The city of yeah. London police arrested seven teens uh, on Thursday in connection with the infamous Lapsus hacking group that targeted companies like Microsoft, NVIDIA, Okta over the last year. Cybersecurity experts said they tracked down the group's alleged ringleader, a 16-year-old in Oxford, England, who reportedly amassed $14 million from his after-school hacking job. London police wouldn't confirm if he was one of the seven arrested. Uh, Lapsus's goals were simple, hack a company, steal its data, and threaten to leak the data until the company paid up. Earlier this month, Lapsus stole the source code for Samsung's Galaxy devices, and in February, NVIDIA said the group was leaking employee credentials online. What happened, Pete? Well, whether it's a highly sophisticated cyber attack or a post-band rehearsal Denny's hang, the loudmouth teens always ruin it. Authorities discovered Lapsus because... 
The group routinely bragged about its attacks on social media, and the 16-year-old leader was also doxxed by rival hackers. Was that your copy, the Denny's part, or no, is that something no, from no, someone else? I, I totally lifted that from the, the original uh, person who wrote it. Okay, because I was like, that seemed out of character for you. Yeah, no, that's... No. It's, just, it's sort of a, what I'm, that's an insult. I've just insulted you because that's a beautiful piece of copy. I, know, I, I fully admit that I wouldn't have come up with that on my own. That's perfectly fine. Uh, there is a book called Future Crimes by a person who did a very good job writing it. And, it. and it talks about how criminals, especially with cyber crimes, are years ahead of whatever protections that, that are around to prevent those crimes. And so it is not surprising to me that teens can be part of those future crimes, if you will. I think it's Rick Goodson. I don't know. Now I got to look, but yeah. So Damon, that's not a surprising story um, at all. So what else is in the news while I verify whether or not, actually we're going to figure it out right now. Future crimes, Mark Goodman. What'd I say? Rick Goodson? Something like that. Mark Goodman. Mark with a C. Dane, what else is in the news? Uh, the government wants to give you gas. Wait. The government wants to give you money to pay for gas. Dad jokes. Pay for gas. Gas prices steadily crept up month after month in 2021, and they've soared to historic highs since Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Now lawmakers want to help families cope from rising costs by pausing gas taxes or simply sending out cash. While the proposed payments are not officially being called stimulus checks, many recipients would view them in essentially the same way. It would uh, be money paid out by individual states or the federal government to provide relief to those eligible. So what we've had is a uh, pausing of gas taxes in various states that have been uh, proposed. Um, Delaware, I believe it was, uh, was going to start sending. Now, Maine, I'm sorry, Maine Governor Janet Mills recently revised the amount that she wants to send to Mainers from $750 to $850 to account for inflation and rising oil and gas prices. States are aggressively pursuing relief for people who fill up at the pumps regularly. Wouldn't it be funny if governors of those states that do that on the envelope, they had them printed with their picture that said, I did this. And then they <laughs> I sent the check. Wouldn't that be funny? That would be amazing. I don't know why I brought that up. All right, Dame. This was certainly something. Mm, indeed it was. <laughs> All right, everybody. Hey, thanks for listening to the show. If you want to learn more about what we do, just save yourself some time. Don't do it. Um, you can go to PeteThePlanner.com, I guess. Whatever. Uh, send you good vibes. Good vibes are all that's in the budget. I'm Pete the Planner, and this was something. I mean, it it was. You cannot deny it was something. Do not deny that. You know, this is going to be one of those days where no one's going to ask me how the show went because... No one cares. I mean, like anyone who I'm going to talk to is not going to go, how was your show today? Like, not, like, just like, that's not in my cards the rest of the day. But if I were to encounter anyone that was like, hey, how was the show today? I would say, you know what? It was really good. Mm -hmm. And it's also one of those things in which that's my perspective, which means <laughs> nothing. Nothing. Every column I've ever written in which I got done, I was like, blah, ow. No one cares. Yeah. My Mrs. Advice uh, asks me uh, how the show was almost every week. I think that's not, out of empathy watch. that you have to you have to deal with me. Mm, maybe. All right. Um, 
Thank you. Are you Russian off? <laughs> Stop it. Uh, <laughs> I'm not Russian. Um, I need to edit the show and hope that your voice is on the other end of, fair. of my that is fair. monitors. Um, okay, everybody. Um, you know, stay getting money.